Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 5, though. We're going to drift over to Exodus chapter 4 for a moment. And, and really what we're going to be doing today is, is looking at uh, how life happens. And hopefully you've recognized that that's, that's what happens, right? It, life happens. And whether you're on a cruise ship, I was just listening at this morning on a cruise ship, and you're hoping to be uh, uh, taken off that ship and, and, go, to, and go to your homes, or and you find out that they're, they're putting you in quarantine, and you're thinking, well, I didn't, I didn't pay for this. You know, I'm, I'm ready to get off this, this boat, this big boat. But life happens, and sometimes it happens in a way that you, that you don't quite expect it to happen. And that happens not only in, the, in what we would call this the natural world. Things happen, and some, sometimes the days are filled with sunshine and sometimes filled with rain. But it also happens spiritually. Even when we think God is uh, in control and in the details, sometimes those details are different than we would expect. And we're going to see that again throughout the book of Exodus, but particularly as we look at it this morning. And we're going to drift back a few verses from last week and then look into chapter 5 this morning as well. But what should we remember when life happens? What should we, what should we reflect upon? Now, what is God's perspective on it? I was sharing in the first service, uh, you know, really what we want people to discover when life happens is that God loves them and really has a plan for their life. But sometimes we, we struggle with that. And I'm sure the people of, of Israel... Um, as they were in that land of Egypt, they wondered, do you really love the Egyptians, and should we love them as well? But I was reading about this little boy. His name was uh, Mark, and he was age seven, and this is what he said to, to the pastor. Dear pastor, wrote him a note. I know God loves everybody, but he's probably never met my sister. Um, and there might be some people in our lives we wonder about as well, but uh, let's look at what God says to us as we think about life happens and how do we respond to it. Now, if you're with us last week, or if you're familiar with this strange story uh, in the life of Moses, Moses gets called in, into that that elevated position of being the savior, the rescuer of the people of God, Israel, uh, Israelites in the land of Egypt, and all of a sudden, God is about to take him out. Remember, we talked about that a little bit last week, and his wife Zipporah uh, just rescues him. And the, and the account is read this way. Now, it came out at the lodging place on their way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Can you imagine that? I want you to meet the Lord today. When you meet him, you know what he's going to do? He's going to kill you. What a a sobering story. That just doesn't even make sense. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And at that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, you almost, since it's such a strange account, want to talk about it even more. But really, when you think about that section, among anything else, it's just strange, isn't it? Why, why would God do this? It seems like a, a, a minor thing. We forgot to circumcise, or we at least didn't, probably didn't forget, circumcise that child of mine, at, that male chi- child of mine at age eight. And yet this little thing became a big thing to God, right? This was something that said, this is a deal breaker. This is, this is one of the things, I'm going to take you home early. Now, we know from Scripture that God is sovereign, that he's, he's seen it all, and he's overall, and that in the reality of God's sovereignty, we're all going to, we're all going to die on time. Okay? It's not going to be a surprise to God when our last breath is taken here. But in this particular scene, we see God going to say, I'm going to take you home a little earlier than you thought. Because you have been disobedient to me. And when you look at that, well, all it was was a little circumcision. 
And, and God said, no, this is a big thing to me. And the reason it was a big thing to him is because he was to set that example for all of God's people uh, to follow him and be obedient to him. And he wasn't even willing to take that first step of obedience with his own child. And so as we think about that is that what is a little thing to us can become a big thing to God. And I want you to understand this. What is important to God is what happens in our own life and our family's life and the people we're related to. In God's church, God's more concerned what happens in God's church than he, than he is about what happens in Washington, D.C. or Sacramento. And that's found in 1 Peter 4.17. For it is time for judgment to begin where? With a household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Have you found it's easier to find out and discover other people's faults than your own? You know, God is saying, hey, stop, stop. You know, look at your own life. What is God doing in your life? That's what's really important. Little things can become big things to God. James 4, 17 says this, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is what? Sin. Can anybody relate to that verse? There's a lot of times I've known the right thing to do and just didn't get around to what? Doing it. And the Bible says, well, you know, that's just not, well, you know, that's just a little thing. No, that's sin in God's eyes. We're held accountable to that. And here's a graphic story in the book of Exodus, and there's the ones repeated in the New Testament as well, that little things matter to God. Now, we're not, we're not supposed to be in despair and tra- traumatized by this, but we need to regularly look in our own life. What, what are some things in my life that, that God wants me to do that I'm not doing? You know, John 13, 17 is always a amazing passage to me. Remember, they, they, the, the disciples with Jesus, and they go into the, into the upper room, and in the upper room, they're going to take the, the Last Supper for the last time with Jesus. And as they prepare to, to eat the Last Supper, you know, they're looking around, and everyone needs to wash, not their hands, but to wash their what? Their feet. But no one wants to take that job. And who, who takes it? Jesus. Little things matter to Jesus to the point where he's willing to step in when no one else will step in. And then he tells them in John 13, 17, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And so we need to look at our own life as we look at this. Well, what is it God wants me to do? Sometimes we look globally. What should people out there do or around me do? But what should I do? Little things matter to God. But looking at the section we really didn't read last, last Lord's Day, and this account of God's way out for his people begins at verse 27. Now the Lord said to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. And so he went and met him in, at the mountain of God and kissed him. So now you see the, the reuniting of Moses and Aaron. And in case you haven't figured out the timeline a little bit, is that Moses and Aaron probably hadn't seen each other for how many years? Forty years. This, this, was, a, this was a reunion that had, had uh, taken the test of time, but when they see each other, they're filled with love for each other. In fact, actually, again, if you look at the timeline of Egypt, it's an, it's an amazing thing how God unveils what he is doing or has done and will do and how quickly sometimes he records a whole lot in just a short period of time and sometimes he takes a whole lot of time to talk about a very short period of time. Probably Exodus chapter 1 is a period of time where 390 years are covered in one chapter. Then you go to chapter 2 and it's probably 40 years in chapter 2. Then chapter 3 to the end of the book, it's maybe one year. All this is happening in these last chapters that take most of the detail of this book. 
But here we have them meeting for the first time in a long time. Verse 28, so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Can you imagine that? You haven't seen your brother 40, for 40 years, and he tells you this amazing story that's saying, are, are you, have you been out in the sun too long? A bush has been talking to you, and, and uh, that bush was God, and he, he spoke to you in no uncertain terms about what you ought to do. And, um, and then I'll say, well, let me tell you why you ought to believe me. And then he does the miraculous things. Verse 29, then Moses and, and Aaron went and assembled all the elders and the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. And I'm sure they were responding the same way. Aaron, I know you just met you know, your brother Moses, but you were out in the sun too long. And then God demonstrates that what they're saying is, is believable. He does the miraculous. He then performed the signs in the sight of his people. And so the people believed. And this is a really commentary actually in the, in the New Testament in the last chapters of, of John, John chapter 20 uh, before t- 21. He says that, that Jesus performed all those signs and mir- miracles when he was here for one protect purpose, that they would come to the place where they believe that Jesus truly is the Son of God. Jesus, God doesn't do the miraculous just to impress us. He does the miraculous that we would believe. And that's always been the case. And then verse 31 goes, So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, what was their response? They bowed and worshipped. Now, sometimes we think worship is singing songs, and, and singing songs can be worship. It's a way to express praise and adoration to God. But worship is way more than that. Worship is an opportunity that we have to do every day of every, every day that we're here and every day in eternity. It's that place where we bring an expression of our realization that he is worthy. He has worth beyond all that is in this universe to give homage to and a sense of awe and respect and obedience and commitment to. And so when they, when they come in, in that place where they encounter God through the words, at this point, the words and a few signs from Moses and Aaron, they bow down. They come to that place where they are submitting their will to his will. They, they see that he is way beyond who they are. And then they're amazed by not only God's power, but his compassion. Because Moses and Aaron tells them that they are cared for by the living God. And so as we think about things we ought to remember when life happens, number one, little things might be big things to God. And so every day we're thinking, well, God, not, sometimes what big thing you want me to do for you today? Maybe it might be something little God wants you to do and just be obedient to him. Secondly, throughout life we need to realize that no matter what our circumstances are at the present, uh, we still can worship God. Because at this point, I, I just want to make this a very simple point. Were they still under the bondage of Israel when they bowed down? I mean, what, what, was Israel, the Israelites, still under the bondage of the Egyptians when they bowed down and worshiped him? Yeah, they were still slaves. Nothing had changed. And yet they worshiped God. Usually I want to thank God and praise God when something's good to happen to me, right? Or it's a lot easier to do that. And what God is saying, look, at it's, there's always good things happening to you, just like your circumstances just might not be pleasant. But they were, they were, and they encountered God through the signs and the words of remembrance that God had heard their prayers and had compassion. They bowed down in worship when nothing had changed. That's something to remember when life happens, right? 
It's always time to worship. Just as Matt was talking about the, the students up at camp, and I, I can relate to that. It's always time to eat dessert, as far as I'm concerned, you know. And um, those who went on the Israel trip, they were amazed how much their pastor could eat dessert. I mean, I just, it was, it was, it was a buffet, and I, I sampled everything on it that was dessert, all right. Uh, but it's always time not only to dessert, but it's always time uh, to worship. But then goes on the account, chapter 5. And afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, and I was, and just stopping there for a moment, it's actually a comma, not a period, but, you know, Moses has been gone for 40 years, and Aaron is just a slave. And you're wondering, well, how, how did they get an audience before the Pharaoh, the king? You know, you, you, you can call up, you know, Sacramento or Washington, D.C., and you're probably not going to get a chance to meet the governor or the president right at that moment, Right? It's quite possible some will comment on this passage. It was not only Moses and Aaron that asked to have an audience before Pharaoh, but it's quite possible all the leaders of Israel, all the elders went. So there was a pretty significant group, and so Pharaoh was motivated. You know, this is my workforce here. This is the bricklayers' um, union, and so I, I better speak with them because I want to keep them working. So they asked for a, uh, in, an audience with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, all right, and, and then Moses and Aaron speak authoritatively to the king who has all their people enslaved to do whatever he wants them to do. And he says, let my people go. No, backing up, he says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, if, if you're speaking to a person who is the all-powerful one in that particular country that you are being enslaved with, and that person who is in power thinks he is God, you don't go up to him and say, well, God has told me you need to do this. Well, that's what they did because they were feeling pretty significant at that point because God had been able to give them the ability to be miraculous by giving the signs, though Pharaoh had not seen that at that point. And they tell him what, what the Lord wants them to do. Let my people go that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Now are you telling me, this is the Pharaoh listening to Moses and Aaron and the elders there who were part of the, the bricklayers' union, uh, you're, you're telling me what to do? You're not, you're not asking, you're telling me what to do? Who, who, who do you think you are? And you're saying, this Lord is telling me to do it? Don't you know I am Lord? And that's exactly what happens, verse 2. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And, and this is the most significant question everyone needs to answer in their life. Who is the Lord? If you're not, well, in fact, I just, just this past week, I was hearing someone say that, that if, you, if you add up all the different religions out there, all the different faiths, there's over 4,000 of them. Now, that, that's way beyond the, the number I've come across with. But th- there are certain types of religions, faiths, people believe they, they, they've got the handle on who God is, and it's, it's almost innumerable, 4,000. And so Pharaoh's saying, who is the Lord? Number one, you don't know I'm the Lord. I'm the one telling you what to do, and my, your life is in my hand. But who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Now, they have just worshiped God, which the Bible says that all of God's people need to worship him. We, we, we worship God because... We've been urged, as Paul says in Romans 12, 1, by the mercy of God to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice to him, which is our spiritual service of worship. 
And the reason that we worship God, because God is good. In 1 Chronicles 16, 34, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is, what? Good. And his, and his loving kindness is everlasting. We worship God because of who he is. He's the all-powerful one, but also he's good. But now they're in the presence of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is saying, what, what are you talking about? They want, this thing about this one, they want Pharaoh to conform to what they want him to do. Now, is Pharaoh going to do that initially? Is he going to do it on his own free will? The answer is no. And, and, and here's the point I want us to make. The reason he's going to say no is because he doesn't know, using a different word for no, who? The Lord. And as we think about when life happens, what's more important than anything else in life? More than anything else in life is, you know, since we just had, went, had a, you know, election or primary last week, is it more important that someone become a Democrat or Republican? Is it more important that someone be a conservative or a liberal? Is it more important that people adopt what you think is a healthy diet or lifestyle? Or is it more important for you to try to convince somebody you can shake people's hands or you can only use your elbow? I heard some people this morning say, you know, since people cough in their end of their elbow, you ought to just tap shoes, okay? Uh, now, I, I think those are important things. I mean, I, I have, I have a political perspective, and I, I, in case you don't know, I think I'm right, and if you don't vote like I do, I think you're wrong, you know, all those kind of things. But, you know, what's more important than anything else is people know who the Lord is, right? And, and when we think people are going to conform to what we think is right versus that which is wrong, maybe we can be persuasive, but what they need more than to adopt how we think is they need to know who the Lord is, right? That was, that was Pharaoh's problem. He didn't know who the Lord is. And then he said, well, then why should I obey his voice? I mean, you know, take the Ten Commandments. And I think it's a neat thing to have Ten Commandments listed, you know, in various public buildings and things like that. But, you know, if, if people were to read the Ten Commandments, you know, it might be something that brings back some fond memories of years or days gone by but their ability to, to obey God is going to be, first of all, dependent upon them knowing God. Would you, believe, would you agree with that? Who is the Lord? He said, well, why should I obey his voice? I don't know who the Lord is. And really, we're not going to turn to the passage because time, but in Exodus 14, verse 4 and 14, verse 18, basically God says, look, it, I'm going to do all this, bringing my people out of bondage, so that Pharaoh and all the Egyptians will once and for all know who is the Lord. Can I just emphasize for all, that, that, is, that is our greatest concern for people, is that they would know who is the Lord. And not just on an intellectual, you know, I, I fill in the blank that it's Jesus who is Lord, but that they believe him in his heart, that he's the Lord of their lives. That, that's the message. And the message is not because we, we're smarter than anybody else in this world, because it's true, right? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And as God manifests himself in the Old Testament, the only way out was the way in to a relationship with the true and living God. 
Pharaoh wasn't there. The Egyptians weren't there. And that was the message. So as we think about the greatest need for everyone is knowing who is the Lord and then obeying him. But then the story goes on, and this is the rest of almost the entire chapter. And in it it is a wake-up for all of us. God's plans often do not proceed in the way we expect them to. Have you discovered that? You know, life doesn't happen like we think it's going to happen. And then it goes on. And, And even when we have almost realistic expectation, I mean, God had told Moses, you're going to deliver my people. And yet, uh, and I'm sure the way he went into the, into the audience of Pharaoh, he thought it was going to happen right then, right? Even though God had hinted that, oh, by the way, when you go there, he's not going to initially say yes. But he came in there, guns a-blazing. And the reason I, I believe that's a correct interpretation of the text, look at verse 3. Then they said, this is Moses and Aaron, the elders with him, before memory said, the Lord has spoken. Let my people go. Then they go in verse 3. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has not met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. So they went from telling Pharaoh what to do to now pleading with him. And not only pleading with him, they thought they could somehow touch a compassionate bone in Pharaoh's body. If you don't let us go, our, our almighty God might cause us to be sick, a pestilence. You, you, you don't want to hurt your people who make bricks for you, do you? <laughs> that didn't touch Pharaoh at all. Because he looked at this as, as a natural man would look to what God is doing and say, look, all I know is you've come into my presence, and all I hear from you, from this bricklayer union, is that you want to get out of work, Right? You know, thank you, Ruth. You're the only one listening over here. Okay, so, so you know, I mean, that, isn't that really all that was going on here? He said, oh, what am I here? All I want to hear is, all I'm hearing for you is you want to get out of work. You want a three days vacation. You want me to pay for it. And in fact, it might be six days. And there's a whole story behind here why it could have been confusing to Pharaoh, but they re- he really realized what you were saying here. You don't want to be gone for just a little while. You want to be gone for a long while. You want to take off. You want to get out of what you're doing, and I'm not going to let that happen. And, and this was shocking to the people. Not only that, he, wasn't gonna, he was not only not going to let him go, he was going to make life, was, gonna be, was it going to be easier or harder? It's going to be harder. And here goes the account, verse 4. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from the work? Get back to your labors. Get back to work. And then again, Pharaoh said, look, if you've got this much time on your hand that you can complain to me and that you think you can keep up your quota by being gone, that means you're not... You're not uh, you're not working hard enough. You've got too much time on your hands, okay? And, and, and later on, you know, when they start kind of whining and crying, you know, basically Pharaoh's response is this. You know, have you ever, I can't remember this particular situation, but I remember I've heard this numerous times in my life. You know, you're crying. I'm going to give you something to really cry about. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah, you're crying, you're whining and crying. I'll really give you something to whine and cry about. And this is Pharaoh's response. And so now these people who have just done the spiritual, right, they bow down and worship God in anticipation of what God was going to do. And you could also say not only what he was going to do, but when he was going to do it, because they thought he was going to do it when? Now, right? You ever done this? Somebody said, when do you want this done? A lot of times I'll say yesterday. I want it done yesterday, right? 
They, they, were, they were full of anticipation that God was going to deal with all their, their challenges and problems now. And what God was going to allow to happen, because God could have stopped this. He could have, he could have started this journey a lot quicker. He was going to let them go through this. And it was going to make, make be more difficult. And he says, again, Pharaoh said to the people of the land, are now many, and you would have them cease from the labor. So the, the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, you are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it because they are lazy, because they cry out, let us go out and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men and let them work at it so they will pay no attention to false words. So you're, you're listening to the wrong people here. And so I'm going to make your life harder and, 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 and worse rather than better. So the taskmasters, verse 10, of the people and their foreman went out and spoke to the people saying, thus says Pharaoh, I'm going to take you, I'm not going to give you any straw. You go and get your straw for yourselves wherever you can find it and, and none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them saying, complete your work, quota your daily amount just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not completed your required amount, either yesterday or today, and making brick as previously? So, the, so the, the day laborers, you could say, the common labor, their life was harder. They had to get the straw and make the bricks. And now those who were Israelites, were, who were given charge over them, their life was worse. They were beaten because this is an impossible task. So what do you do when that happens? You, you try to change your circumstances. Then the foreman of the sons of Israel said, and cried out to Israel, saying, Why do you deal this way with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are being beaten, but it is the fruit of your own people. But he said, You are lazy, very lazy. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work, for you will be given no straw, yet, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foremen of the, sea, of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. Now that's just reading the account of what actually happened. And, 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 and I think you can go back in history, and this is one of the reasons we believe the Bible is not just some great myth that has been imposed on us to think of religious, moral you know, principles to live our life. This, this was rooted in history. Israel had probably gone into the land as they came to escape the famine in 1875. This bondage into slavery had lasted now basically 430 years. And so it had gone from 1875, now it's 1445. The pharaoh that had run Moses out of town... Uh, had died, Tutmosis III. Amenhotep II was now the pharaoh in charge. And he had probably come to the throne in 1450. And in 1450, he was a, he, sometimes we wonder, what, what are the ages of, the, of people in the Bible? And we don't always know unless it's defined for us. But many of the disciples, uh, many believe, could have been teenagers. They were young people. Okay? We know Moses at this point is is the middle age to being, you know, senior living. He's, he's, he's 80. Uh, but Amenhotep was a young pharaoh. 
Uh, history kind of portrays him as coming to the throne when he was 18 in 1450. In 1445, he's five years older. So 18 and five makes, he's now what? 23. And now at 23, and some have said he had already come to the place where he had much military process, he was a man of power. He said, I'm not going to let these, these peasants of mine tell me what to do. And so these people who've, who were trying to follow God after, as best they could, their life was now more miserable than when they were just falling after their own ways and whims. Now, what does that say to us? That we need to recognize that sometimes, often, God doesn't operate according to our timetable and allows us to go through things that are maybe a direct result of us being faithful and loyal to Him. And we're, we're, we're going to call back and say, that's just not what? That's just not fair. And in reality, it might not be fair from a, just a human perspective. But God is saying, I've got a bigger plan here. I, I want all of Egypt to know who is the Lord. And I'm going to take them through this whole journey. So this, this truth is said more than once, more than twice, more than three times, more than four times. It's going to be said very plainly. How many times? Ten times. That's why the ten plagues were given. I mean, he could have been convincing the first time, right? But he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to rehearse this principle over and over and over and over again so that they recognize that I am Lord. Who is the Lord? In the meantime, God's people are going through the difficult times and saying, well, <laughs> what about us? And God says, just be patient. You know, this is only halftime. This is only the third quarter. You know, we're going to, we're going to come back in the fourth quarter. We're going to win. And so we, we need to remind ourselves of that as well. And Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, we often, I mean, myself included, there are times in my prayers that, God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, you need to change this. Don't you realize this is what's going on? And God says, I know. But my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. And there's a bigger plan here. And Israel had gone through that for a significant period of time, you know, twice as long as our nation has been existing, basically. And now they, they were fed up. They, they, they'd seen a glimmer of hope. Now they wanted to go and go through that now. And, and God said, just wait. That's what happens when life happens. Is things sometimes don't, don't happen like we want them to happen. But finally, just one other point in this chapter. Those carrying out God's work may anticipate opposition even from the ones that are, they're trying to help. Just think about it. If you're Moses and Aaron, you're thinking, you know, they're following us, they're believing us, they're trusting us, and now the first sign of trouble, they want to what? They want to give up. They, they want to leave. And they're, and they're saying, we're the causes, verse 20. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. And they said to them, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. They're trying to bring down fire from heaven, aren't they? May God get you. Why? For you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. They're saying, look, you, you, you misheard God. And may God judge you because this can't be from God because our life's worse rather than better. 
So how does Moses respond? Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? And he could probably, if you fill in the blank there, he could say, remember, remember that conversation we had? I told you not to what? I told you not to send me. Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. And so as we think about life, life often just doesn't happen like we think it's going to happen. And when it does, we're more confused than we are filled with, with light. Sometimes it's the little things that God says, this is big to me. And I'm telling you, this is really big to me. You, you better get at it. And I, and I want you to understand, as you, as, you, as you think about everything that's happening in life, I want you to understand, don't be shocked by what happens in the world because the world should live like that because they don't know me, Right? We should understand that. We understand that as we think about our lives, no matter what we're going through, whether our circumstances never change or in the midst of our circumstances of being pretty bleak, we can still worship because God is always powerful and always good even though life might not be good right now. And initially they did that, but then they, they ran from that. And then as we look at God, God's process isn't always like we think it's going to be, and, and they didn't get immediate relief, did they? In fact, it got worse. And then you think, well, at least if I'm doing the Lord, I'll have this, this, this group of people around me that are going to support me. And, and Moses and Aaron said, they're, they're, they're calling, on, calling on judgment from God. What is up with this? You know, my, my own, it's like friendly fire. And, and you know, that's got to be the most horrific experience of those on the battlefield to recognize that they're trying to, to deal with the enemy. And they realize... Maybe just out of accident, they're getting shot from their own troops, right? And that's what's happening here. And so, so when you're in that kind of a plight, when life happens, you, you, you basically have two choices. Either you keep on keeping on or you what? You give up. And, and really, that's, that's the message this morning in terms of the main point is that in the midst of, of life happening, you've got to choose either to give in or, or give up. And give in is, the phrase I want to give there is, is giving in to, to God and saying, God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't understand you, right? You know, sometimes when I tell stories, I can't remember who I told the story to, but you know, I mentioned to you in an email blast that one of, our, one of our people has ALS, and, and when I talked a little bit further and people with her she thought she might have two years. Now they're saying maybe it's weeks. But she's not giving, she's not giving up. She's going to trust the Lord through what she's going through. I was at a, it was a three-day conference. I just went for one day. But they were sharing a prayer request about some missionaries in, in Spain. And there was a young family, two little kids and his wife. And they were early 30s. She had overcome cancer as best they understood, and so he was able to come from Spain to this conference they were at, and, and all of a sudden he got word that she was sick again, sick so much they're not sure she was going to make it. And so they, they brought him and others up on stage and prayed as he was going to go back and, and, and praying that God would somehow either heal her or at least allow her to live to the point where he could see her one more time. The next day, we found out that she didn't make it. 
and, she, and he didn't get to see her. And so as we think about that, as he preaches and teaches a message of, of God's goodness and power in, in the land of Spain, he's not going to be able to share that God did this miraculous answer to prayer of a specific need in his heart and the hearts of his two little children. But that God is good even in the midst of things happening that we can't explain. And so whatever we face in life, and, and look, we all pray for God's deliverance now, but when it doesn't happen, do we, do we still trust Him? Do we still believe that there's a reason not to give up when life happens? Because we know that in the midst of God's bigger plan, that God has and is and will come through. But in living this life now, life won't always happen like we would want it to happen and pray it would happen. But we believe in the midst of all that goes on, God's still in control. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, we do pray for those who are facing so many challenges that it's just uh, heartbreaking. And even in, in our own church family, not only, not only with this one Pearl who's being diagnosed with ALS or with Etoy that only this past week they said only 7% of his liver was functioning. Or whether it's financial reversals or the need for a job or a place to stay. And sometimes we just wonder, why do you allow your people to suffer? But in the midst of, whether it's a nation like Israel and the land of Egypt, or whether it's individuals in the the land of their own life, that we trust you because you are the God that's all-powerful and all-good, but your timetable and what you allow us to go through is, is in your hands and not our own. Well, I would pray that if there's anyone here this morning that as they face life challenges or facing it alone, that they might realize that there's a God that really loves and cares for them and will always be with them no matter what they go through. Might you really speak into the lives of each one of us? And if we haven't come to that place where we have surrendered to you, might we give our life fully and completely to Jesus this day? Trust that he, he has delivered us from the penalty of our sin because of his work on the cross. And when we give our life to you, that you, you will be there no matter what we go through. Thank you that you have given us a track to run on through your word. and Help us to follow you faithfully. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.